0: Welcome to a very late episode 123 of the Frank Reactions podcast on customer experience, which was listed by NG Data as one of the top must listen podcasts on customer experience. I'm Tema Frank, your host, and this show is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. When I started podcasting way back in 2012, I don't think there were any other customer experience focused podcasts. Now they're sprouting up like weeds. No, that sounds too negative. I think it's actually great that more and more people are talking about customer experience. So let's say they're sprouting up like spring crocuses in the Netherlands. Did you know they actually have a crocus vacation week there? It's actually quite beautiful. So With all these customer experience podcasts around now, I've been thinking about what added value I can give you in the Frank Reactions podcast, and I'm looking at two options. I suspect I'll probably do a little bit of both. I've always had one foot in the business world, but another in the academic world. I don't know why, but for some reason, for articles to get accepted into academic journals, They basically intentionally make them difficult for a layperson to read and understand. But sometimes there's really great stuff hidden in there, which hasn't made its way over to the practical business world. So I would like to translate some of that research in an interesting and helpful way for you. Today's podcast is an example of that. With companies like L.L. Bean getting rid of their unlimited returns policies and fraudulent returns costing retailers billions of dollars a year, today we look at a very large real-world research study that shows how organizations can turn returns into a profitable and positive experience instead of just an upsetting drag on revenues. My guest today is Dr. Najati Ertekan, who's an assistant professor at Santa Clara University's Levy School of Business. There are some really important lessons for retailers in his recent paper, which is called Immediate and Long-Term Benefits of In-Store Return. You will hear all about those shortly. The other approach that I've thought about in terms of the podcast is to give it more of a focus on customer experience turnaround stories. You see, it drives me crazy that the great customer experience examples we keep hearing about, like Disney and Nordstrom and the Ritz-Carlton hotels, they all started with customer service as a core principle. But the fact is, most companies didn't start that way. And most of them are really struggling to get better at customer experience. So, with all us customer experience consultants out there trying to help, Why is it so hard to find real success stories, companies that had bad customer experience and have actually managed to turn that ship around? I'm digging for those stories for my next book. So if you know of any, please let me know. I'll be profiling as many of them as I can on this show as I do my research. We need to figure out what really works and what are the things that sound great in theory, but just don't pan out in practice. Before we get to today's episode, I just wanted to let you know about the upcoming Pod Summit, which is Western Canada's podcast conference. It's taking place this year on May 5th at the CKUA Studios in Edmonton. The Alberta Podcast Network is delighted to be a sponsor of this year's Pod Summit. If you have a podcast, you're going to learn at that event how to make it sound absolutely amazing how to grow your audience and how to create a show that your listeners will love. If you don't yet have a podcast, you'll learn how to start one and you'll be welcomed with open arms into the podcaster community. We're a friendly bunch of people. Tickets are just $150 for a full day of learning and networking and they are in limited supply, so I'd really urge you to hurry up and get yours. The summit again is on May 5th, and you can get your tickets at podsummit.com. So now let's get on to my interview with Dr. Ertiken and find out how your organization can benefit from people returning stuff they've bought.
1: I am Dr. Nejati Ertekin. I am an assistant professor at Santa Clara University in uh, Silicon Valley here in Santa Clara, California.
0: Nejati, you have been doing a lot of research in the area of customer service and the returns experience. What got you interested in researching customer service in the first place?
1: This interest came from the difference in cultures. Originally, I'm from Turkey. I have spent quite a lot of time in Turkey. Uh, and we don't have this business model, or to be frank, we didn't have till recently. Okay. Uh, this business model, when you purchase something in Turkey, it's difficult to return. After I came to uh, the States back in 2006, it was quite interesting to see that uh, as a customer, you, you have that uh, luxury. So mm-hmm. I call it luxury because still most of the world do not uh, offer these uh, Uh, options to to their customers. So it it got my attention. Then after I started my PhD in business, I thought this could be a really interesting topic uh, to study, uh, given my background.
0: It's interesting. It just reminded me when I was growing up here in Canada, you couldn't normally do returns at small stores. It was only at the big department stores. And of course, we see now that department stores are really suffering. And I wonder if that's part of it. We used to go to department stores to buy stuff because we'd have the option of returns if we made a mistake. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so you uh, have an article that you wrote, the immediate and long-term benefits of in-store return. So you note in there that returns typically are about 8% of sales. And that number seems to be increasing, particularly with a lot of online purchases, Yet, uh, you know, a lot of companies see that as a big negative. But you're saying that returns can actually be a good thing for a company. So how is that?
1: Uh, right. So the, the general, the common wisdom uh, is that like returns are bad. They are costly because no, no one wants to get whatever they sold. Right. So that like from the first point, you think that it it is a costly business and you want to assign uh, your least qualified people to handle those type of uh, customer interactions, mm-hmm. and of course, all these come from lack of main motivation, which is which is the commissions or the margin that you lose on, on the return products. So this is from the company perspective. When you think about the employee perspective, the the problem is even more drastic because those employees, they work mainly uh, in retail industry. They work uh, for a commission. So whenever whenever they get return, they lose their commission. So it's a direct uh, negative effect on their their income. Mm -hmm. So uh, companies can have tolerance, so they can understand... Uh, how this interaction providing ease for customers can be translated into more sales in the future, but for employees, uh, uh, it it might be quite difficult to understand it. To be frank, I think uh, without help, they may not even see it. Given the given the uh, level of employees working at retailers, uh, uh, so these these things are hard to digest. So. Uh, my approach was okay. So let's let's assume that returns are gonna happen. So you cannot you cannot give up on returns. Yeah. So there are there are a lot of evidence in the literature that when you restrict your return policies, you also lose sales. So returns are uh, kind of considered a part of the service offering by retail by by customers, and they basically make their purchase decision. Uh, also, based on the available top of returns, if there is no return option, they can immediately switch to another retailer that can provide that option. So, from from that perspective, retailers will have to uh, live with, with these return products. But at the same time, as we know from customer uh, management, customer relationship management, uh, mm-hmm. retailers also uh, value every single touch point. Uh, with customers dating is an opportunity so from that perspective uh, even though the outcome is a negative outcome uh, when customers come to your store it is an opportunity for for retailers uh, so there's another interaction point so the, so when you when you look at the whole process very closely you are going to see that uh, there are a lot of things going on first of all uh, customers are not happy with their purchase for any reason, and they are there to return their products and get their money back. On the uh, employee side, they are not happy because they are about to lose their commission. And if they can convert that return into an exchange, at least they can save their commission, Uh, maybe not all, but maybe partially. And the third party is the is the company itself. So the company facilitates all these interactions, right? So even though they are not directly involved in this uh, specific experience, so they provide the domain for the employee and uh, the customer to to have this conversation. So for the company, there are a lot of things going on. So they they want to make their employee happy. They want to make their customers happy. They also want to make money at the end of the day, right? So this is a profit <laughs> company. So when you think about these dynamics, it's, it's really an interesting touch point. So uh, given these motivations, a typical uh, employee approach uh, to a return handling process is uh, to force customers to to apply some pressure uh, to convert those returns into an exchange. Yes, I understand that you don't like this product, but how about the other products? So what was what was wrong with this product? Oh, I see your point. Like here, here is another product that I can, uh, I think, can uh, be better for you. So they have this natural motivation to force customers to exchange their returns. So that's that's their motivation, and for the customer, returning is actually really specific, person-specific. Some people, they are quite comfortable, they don't mind and they can return anything they purchase. Uh, but for other people, they just hesitate to to have that interaction with, with anyone when they return because they feel like they, they are guilty. right? Have, so you,
0: have you ever, I don't know if you've looked at this at all, Is in the literature, is there a gender difference there? Because I know in a lot of cases of people I know, including my own marriage, I'm pretty comfortable doing returns. My husband avoids it like
1: the plague. That's an excellent question. There is there is no study, but I I can see that. <laughs> In the retail data, we see that uh, female customers return more than male customers. When you look at the return rate, is is higher for females than uh, for males. Right. So that I think uh, pretty much supports what what you observe. Okay. So when you given this uh, these dynamics, uh, the entire process becomes quite interesting. So our approach was like to identify the potential outcomes from from this entire experience. One outcome is customer can return the product and they will be done. They will get their money back and they will leave. Another outcome is salesperson will convince the customer to exchange the return. In this case, an exchange will occur. Uh, Salesperson will save the commission. Customer The customer will end up with another product. And at the same time, the company will be better off uh, compared to uh, the pure pure return. So these are all outcomes at that point. And our approach was uh, from a customer relationship management perspective uh, was that since this is another customer interaction point, so anytime you interact with customer. There are also long-term consequences. You can expect a response in the future, in the forms of repurchasing, in the forms of word of mouth. Those are, from the retailer's perspective, more tangible outcomes that can be related to this specific uh, return interaction. My motivation was to look at these two potential outcomes. One is the immediate outcome that comes naturally uh, because of the dynamics given. And, and the second outcome is more like a natural outcome of any customer interaction. We obtain data related to return experiences. So I have contacted this jewelry company uh, during my PhD uh, program, and I, I spent quite Uh, A lot of time in in the company's headquarters office to observe their operations. To be frank, I I was even on the field for about three weeks to visit uh, three different stores. I have seen how things can vary uh, from one salesperson to another salesperson or from one store to another store. Uh, when it comes to uh, handling returns. And then finally, we obtain some relevant data set. And the data set uh, includes uh, customer satisfaction survey responses. So whenever uh, a customer returns a product at this company, they are given a receipt indicating that they have either an exchange or you know pure return. Yeah. And at the end of the receipt, uh, there is a link to an online survey. So not every customer completes uh, the survey, but there are there are plenty of customers. When you think uh, big companies, big retailers uh, of this size, yeah, even a small response rate corresponds to a lot of uh, data points.
0: And what about the skew? I mean, presumably people who respond feel more strongly, either positively or
1: negatively. Exactly. So this this. Uh, issue that you need to uh, address when you do analysis you are absolutely right uh, because customers uh, can respond either when they are extremely happy or when they're extremely angry right to show their anger so either way uh, so when you do analysis, you need to consider that option and you need to address it uh, accordingly so this is this is exactly what i did in the in the article so we obtained this customer satisfaction survey in this survey uh, there are a bunch of questions, but there are certain questions that can be related to the interaction that I was trying to explain. Uh, one question is related to the pressure the customer felt during the return experience. So this pressure is directly related to the motivation to to obtain an immediate benefit, right? right. So if I put the pressure on customer, hopefully I can uh, convert that return into an exchange, and I can save my uh, my commission.
0: And of course, sales, retail sales staff tend to be fairly short-term, so they would naturally have a short-term orientation.
1: Exactly. Another question was related to uh, salesperson competence. So at the end of the day, if you are familiar with consumer returns, the idea of returns is that you buy the product with an uncertainty. You don't know what you are buying by 100%. Right. And then you are going to try the product. and. Uh, assuming that you are a rational, reasonable customer, if you like the product, you are going to keep it. If you don't like the product at the end of the trial period, uh, you are going to return it, right? From that perspective, the return policy is kind of an insurance for customers. So when when you consider uh, this perspective, any customer who believes that the product is not a good fit for them is going to return,
0: Yeah.
1: right? So from that perspective, during the return uh, pre, during the return experience, salespeople uh, have additional information that they didn't have during the purchase. Right during the purchase, you you help customers, like you provide a lot of options. Yeah. So that's that's all you what you can do, but during the return,
0: you know what the actual experience
1: was. Exactly, you know that something you suggested didn't work out. Right, so there's there's additional information. So how can you how can you extract this information? How can you use this information? Oh, I see now. You you didn't like this product. Uh, tell me more about the features that you didn't like. Right. So if you can truly understand why uh, your suggestion in the first place failed, you can actually make empathy for for the customer, and you can see if if you can. Uh, make a better suggestion because the customer need didn't disappear, right? So there there, there is still a need for for the purchase. And if you believe once you identify the true reason of the return, once you identify why the product failed in the first place, if you can provide a better suggestion uh, given this information, given this additional information, actually you can uh, send customers with a product that hopefully works this time uh, and customer is going to be happy at the end of the day uh, with the right product. And uh, of course, as a, as a salesperson, you'll be happy because you save your commission and the retailer is happy with the, with the outcome. Right. But to, to obtain this information, to utilize this information, it requires a lot of skills. It's, it's not that straightforward, right? Mm-hmm. First of all, you need to have uh, strong communication skills. You need to understand the true reason of the customer. You need to... Show customer that you actually care about customer. So it's not about the specific purchase. Right. Once you convey that feeling uh, to customer, then a second piece comes. Okay, once I know that the, the reason of the return, so what do I know about my products? What is uh, a better product that I can suggest? So that requires a, a second set of skill, which is product knowledge. Right. So you need to be competent uh, in in your job to to identify the reason of the return and to provide a better uh, replacement.
0: So it means that companies should be investing in training their salespeople perhaps better than they are.
1: Exactly. Uh, so, these are all, of course, customer satisfaction survey, and we measure everything from the from customer perspe- perspective. So, when you, when you jump into perceptions, uh, those things can be quite different from uh, actual intentions. So, my, my approach was like, we know what customers think about the experience uh, specifically, but instead of using pure survey data, we need to look at the transactional data because that's this the actual actual outcome. So what I did is I combined these two different data sets. This, this is another interesting point, by the way. So most of the retailers, major retailers, they keep uh, all these data sets in different departments for different purposes. For, for instance, for this company, uh, survey data was kept by a department versus the transaction data uh, was kept by another department. Right. And these two departments do not communicate to each other. And the beauty of this analysis comes when you when you combine things. Well, but and I wonder
0: you, too, in a lot of companies, I suspect they don't even analyze the return's impact very much. I mean, that that is that's true. maybe a strictly accounting kind of transaction.
1: Exactly. Exactly. That is true. They're like Again, like they, they think that this is a cost center. They right. set, re- reflect returns in their in their accounting, but there is no proactive uh, action that they 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 take. But I can tell you that industry is getting better. So when when we combine those two data sets, by the way, here is another note uh, in this company. All the survey data there are uh, roughly I think forty eight different questions.
0: Forty eight questions on a yes. survey.
1: Yes, like
0: that's crazy. That's yes. nuts. Who's going to fill out a 48-question survey?
1: Uh, customers fill out because they have the incentive uh, to fill fill the survey. So they can get some percent, some discount on their next purchase if they fill.
0: 48 questions. What percentage of them fill the whole thing?
1: Uh, That's quite small, less than 5%. Yeah, okay. They have millions of customers. Still, it gives you pre- pretty high sample size for yeah. So when when we combine things, we look at the two outcomes. First, in the transaction data, we can identify whether customers uh, converted their return into an exchange, which I call the immediate benefit of a return experience. Second, uh, we can also look whether or not that customer uh, showed up in the future to make another purchase, which is kind of the repurchase or I call the long-term uh, benefit of the return experience. Yeah. And then we have the survey data. We can measure how uh, customers perceive uh, salesperson competence, as well as how they perceive the pressure they felt during the experience. We can identify the driving factors of of the exchange outcome. And we can also tie, analytically, we can also tie this exchange behavior. Uh, We can differentiate customers with respect to their repurchase behavior uh, between customers who exchange their products during the return and customers who do not exchange their products during the return. Right. So what what I find is the salesperson pressure, whenever they apply a pressure, it is perceived negatively. Uh, so that's, that's expected, but it also increases the chance of exchange. Right. So customers
0: won't be happy, but they'll accept it.
1: Exactly. But salesperson competence, when customers perceive that the salesperson is trying to help them and they know what they are selling, uh, things are quite different. In that case, competence can increase the exchange rate as well as the satisfaction and hopefully the overall uh, repurchase behavior. So I, I measure two tangible outcomes; those are exchange and repurchase uh, outcomes. And we also can measure the satisfaction, customer satisfaction level. And the two predictors are uh, competence and pressure. So yep. when pressure increases, customers are dissatisfied. So that's expected. And com- when competence increases, customers feel uh, more satisfied with their reper- uh, with their return experience. Yep. And together when satisfaction is, of course, their future purchase is going to increase as well. So they will be more likely to show up in the the future. Right. An interesting point in this uh, study is that when the exchange happens, it doesn't necessarily mean that customers are satisfied and they will show up in the future again.
0: Right. It may just be they were heavily pressured.
1: Right. So from the literature, We know that when customers make a purchase, this is an indication for future purchase. So customers who complete a transaction will be more likely to visit your store in the future than customers who do not complete the transaction. So that's from the purchase standpoint. But from the return standpoint, what I find is it's not uh, that straightforward. When customers exchange their uh, return, that's kind of completing a, another purchase transaction, right? So you purchase something Yes, You will be more likely to return in the future if you also leave the store happy, satisfied.
0: Right. So that would come to the salesperson competence then. Exactly. If they really got better at understanding what you needed, you're more likely to exchange and you're more likely to be happy with the result and therefore more likely to buy from
1: them again. Exactly. So when you force the customer to exchange their return, they will be dissatisfied. But what will happen uh, in the future? You're going to lose the business uh, with that customer. So I, I try to quantify the gain through the exchange and and the loss uh, through losing the uh, future business. I try to compare those two things. And what I find is even though that you can convince customer to exchange today. If you lose that customer in the future, that it's gonna have more impact on on the business. For the retailer, it's a pure loss. But it's also important to convey this information to salespeople because salespeople can, should be also uh, long term uh, perspective oriented.
0: So how do you how do you deal with that? Is the answer to not pay on commission or or what? Because as we noted earlier, a lot of sales staff don't stick around in one company for all that long. So they're likely not to get the benefit of that repeat purchase. So how can companies deal with that problem? Uh,
1: perfect question. To answer this question, let me tell you what the current practice is. Right? So the current practice is uh, these retail retail along, as, long, uh, as well as other retailers, they train their salespeople. Even though they know that uh, some of them may quit their job, but st- still training uh, has been shown to improve uh, sales in general. So training is going to be there regardless. And when I look at the training module at this company, the specific point I realize is that uh, they train their salespeople to do things to exchange the return during the return process. So exchange is the ultimate goal for a salesperson during a return experience.
0: So perhaps they should be rewarded on customer satisfaction rates rather than on exchange rates?
1: Exactly. So long as customer is also happy with the exchange. right? right? We need to, first of all, train salespeople to convey this information in particular, we need to state that, look, the first priority should be customer satisfaction during the return experience, not the exchange. Saying this is not enough. You need to incentivize uh, salespeople to deliver this relationship during the return experience. One way to do this is to change the incentive mechanism. Instead of providing commissions based on purely sales to our salespeople, I think a big impact will come when you when you also incorporate the satisfaction level. This is a great example for many major retailers. They can measure customer satisfaction. They have transaction data and they also have information for salesperson. So basically, I can see the salesperson who processed the transaction. I can see the outcome uh, satisfaction level by looking at the survey data and I can combine all those three information, using all these three different data sets, I can measure the level of satisfaction provided by a specific salesperson.
0: Right. Action. It's interesting because I think of companies like electronic stores, and I started buying my electronics at Staples because they weren't on commission, whereas a lot of the other electronic stores you block walk in, the sales staff didn't know much about the products, but they were just pushing to sell, sell, sell. And that was such a turnoff. Whereas I go into a staple store, they might or might not know more about the products than the guys in the other stores, but at least they weren't. I really felt that they were trying to help me instead of just trying to sell. So even, even in the first place, quite apart from returns, that makes so much more sense.
1: You know, per- perfect note. Like you now we, we talk about different types of customers, right? So apparently uh, for you, it is more important to be treated well than than purchasing a product with a cheaper price, right? Yeah. But on the other hand, there are a bunch of other customers who who could be price sensitive. So they don't yeah. care about the quality of the experience, but they are after uh, a low price, let's say. Yeah. But regardless, so for you, Uh, providing a good service is going to work immediately, even during the purchase, during initial purchase. For price-sensitive customers, even if it doesn't work during the purchase, uh, providing a good service will be rewarded in the future. So even by uh, price-sensitive customers. Right. There are techniques, like the technology is getting better, uh, and there are certain algorithms. You can use transaction data even across companies, so there are some I think hmm. um, companies offering this service. So they can obtain data from multiple companies, and using, like let's say, credit card information, they can track a customer through purchases across different stores, different. So
0: it's like a credit rating. Only it's
1: exactly. It's like a credit rating. So when when a customer return, tries to return, and if that customer is a bad customer, I think uh, Nordstrom or Neiman Marcus, I, I'm not sure, but one of those two companies, even Best Buy can be another company. So they they put this in their policy and they say that uh, now, they didn't have this before, but now they say now the company has the option to deny a return based on the case, so they will evaluate mm. each return case by case and they can deny.
0: So you need really well-trained people to handle those.
1: Exactly. But those customers get the service from uh, from the uh, third party. So when let's say I'm a bad customer, I'm trying to return my product. When I provide my information using the service, Best Buy will be able to identify that I am a bad customer. And they can deny my return.
0: Huh. That is very interesting. Uh, I think that's probably a good place for us to end off here. Thank you very much. We often forget how good we've got it here in Canada and in the United States, where almost every store will accept returns, and often for cash, not just for store credit. But as Dr. Ertekin's research has shown, it's important that returns be handled gracefully. Nobody wants to be pressured when they're trying to return something. But as Dr. Ertekin pointed out, the need that drove you to buy the product in the first place is probably still there. So a good salesperson who actually listens to your reasons for why the product didn't work for you can easily help you exchange and often even upgrade it for something that's a better fit. And the exciting news in this research is that the retailer will not only benefit in the short run, but you'll also be more likely to come back and shop there again. As is so often the case, it comes down to investing a little more in training and really thinking through what kind of incentives do we have in place? What are we rewarding staff for? Because if you're rewarding them for the wrong things, you're going to get the wrong behaviors. Just a few quick words before I sign off for today. First, a reminder that if you can think of any customer service turnaround stories, please let me know. You can reach me as always at Tema, T-E-M as in marketing, A, T-E-M-A, at frankreactions.com or on Twitter at Tema Frank or LinkedIn or the Facebook Frank Reactions page. And please do let me know what direction you'd like to see this podcast go in. Let's face it, I'm doing this for you. I could just read the articles and talk to people on my own. So if it isn't meeting your needs, please tell me what would make it better. Before I sign off, a final word of thanks to ATB Financial, which generously sponsors the Alberta Podcast Network and is an amazing contributor to both the financial and the cultural life of this province. One initiative that I wish I'd remembered last time I made a donation to charity is ATB Cares. You can donate to your favorite charity at atbcares.com and ATB will cover all transaction fees and add 15% to your donation. Last year, over $4 million was donated to charity through ATB Cares. What an awesome way for a bank to help make our world a better place. On that happy note, I'm going to sign off for today and I will chat with you again in two weeks. Bye.